Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 15. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Ryan Peacock, about calamitous kin, quizzical cats, and nightmarish night shifts. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors. Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Do you wonder sometimes how some people seem to have all the luck? How they manage to reach the top and enjoy a lifetime of success and happiness? Some would tell you it's all hard work. Some would tell you it's who you know and how much they're worth to you. For others, well, it might just be something a little more sinister than that. In our first Ryan Peacock tale, Rick's about to show us how he goes ahead in life with just a little touch of death. Without further ado, I present to you Fishing at the End of the Dock. The secretary had asked him if he'd had time for an interview today. Some small-time reporter looking to earn a few clicks out of a chat with an old businessman. He declined, of course. 
told her to reschedule for next week, although even if he was alive by then, he'd still find a way to dodge the little bastard. Thirty or so years back, he'd absolutely relished in this sort of thing. The attention, the acknowledgement of his success, it was what fueled him. Every dream he'd ever had ended in this. Recognition. Praise. Good job. Nowadays, it was just an annoyance. And an irritating speed bump in his otherwise busy day, and any part of him that still wanted to illuminate the life of whatever little reporter begged for an interview from him was long dead. He was a busy man with bigger fish to fry. As he drove through the heavy fog down the quiet dirt road past old cottages and run-down stores, he couldn't help but scoff internally at just how twee this place was. Twee. That was really the only word he could think of to use. He'd heard a business partner use it once, and the word had grown on him. Once upon a time, these encompassing forests and run-down marinas had been the greatest thing in the world to him, But now that he had seen even greater things, they held none of the luster they'd had when he was a boy. Well, perhaps not all of that luster. He did catch himself slowing down slightly as he passed the most familiar of the old bait-and-tackle stores that dotted the roads along the lakeside. The sign was old and faded, the colors long since worn away by time, but he could still faintly read the name of the store. Beck's Bait. Surprisingly, the place still looked open. How unusual. It had been about fifty years since he'd last stepped through the doors of Beck's, with his little brother Adam right on his heels. Adam had been a good kid. He could have gone far in life. They almost religiously picked themselves out a chocolate bar and a soda each, along with a tin of worms, before walking back to their parents' cottage along the dirt road. Usually, they'd head right back out onto the dock and enjoy the sun for a little while before getting to fishing. Usually, they didn't catch much, more than minnows. But once, maybe twice a year, one of them would catch something that would have a place on the dinner table. The memory of it brought the ghost of a smile to his face before he moved on, leaving Bex behind. The cottage wasn't far now, the time was short, and he knew better than to dawdle. Up ahead, through the fog, he spotted the faded sign that told him where to turn. The Dawson's Cottage. He and Adam had painted that sign themselves in their father's workshop. They'd both been grinning from ear to ear when they'd watch him nail it up. Time hadn't been kind to it. The text was only barely legible and the fog didn't help. But the ghosts of the words on the sign was more than enough to let him know that after all this time, He'd found his way home again. Exhaling heavily, he turned the car down the overgrown dirt road to the cottage where he'd spent the best years of his life. He kept a tight grip on the steering wheel before looking at the clock. He still had a few hours. He was sure of that much. His car was not made to handle the rough dirt road, and it rocked and jolted on the uneven terrain. If he'd had a little more foresight, he might have rented something more suited to coming out here. But now was not the time to think about what he could have done better. That time had passed long ago. The cottage loomed up ahead of him, secluded and cut off from the rest of the world. It had been a good fifteen years or so since he'd been back, although, despite that, the cottage did not by any means look bad. He'd at least had the foresight to pay someone to maintain it, and they'd done a decent enough job. It wasn't perfect, but it wasn't collapsing in on itself, either. It would do. For now. The cottage had ended up in his name after his father had died, and he had visited a handful of times since then. But eventually, his schedule grew too busy, his interests led him elsewhere, and he found himself with less use for the property. Of course, he could never bring himself to sell it. Heavens, no. That would be next to absolute madness. He could never sell this land, not for any price. It wasn't just sentimental value that made this place important. 
He'd learned long ago that there was no room for sentimentality in a man, but this place had a value to him that no check could match. Over the past 50 years, all of the good things that had come to him came from here. Every business partnership, every wise investment, every decision that had brought him to the top had come from this place. His car rolled to a stop in front of the old cottage, and he got out, breathing in the deep fog and smelling the foul scent of decay on it. He huffed before trudging toward the front door and trying the keys. The door opened with a creak, and he stepped inside to the darkness that awaited inside. With a bit of fumbling, he was able to find the light switch, and with a stern look on his face, he surveyed the old cottage. It had changed little since last he'd been there. It was clean and tidy, yes, but it was also clearly abandoned. Somehow, that brought him some comfort. He closed and locked the door behind him before reaching into his suit jacket and taking out the revolver he carried with him. Methodically, he checked over the gun to ensure that it looked good before he set it down on the counter. He'd never been one for firearms, but he made a point to learn in his youth. As a boy, he'd thought it would be cool to own a gun, like the old-fashioned cowboys who'd been his heroes. Nowadays, he only ever carried it when it was practical, and he never actually fired it outside of a shooting range. But that was to be expected. He made his way over to the rear of the cottage and lifted the blinds to look out over the lake. A thick fog covered most of it and rolled up the hill leading down to the dock. But the dock itself was visible. It waited for him against the pale, glassy surface of the lake, the tip of it only barely visible. No boats were moored and he could see none on the water. As far as he could tell, he was well enough alone. He studied the water, looking for any trace of movement a ripple, a sign of life. There is nothing. Satisfied, he turned away and reached into his pocket for his cigarettes. He'd started smoking when he was 13, naturally. As soon as Adam caught him with a cigarette, he'd wanted to try one too. Adam really had idolized him. In hindsight, he probably should have been more touched than he was. But back then, his little brother's admiration had gotten on his nerves more often than not. When he started smoking, Adam had wanted to smoke. When he was mowing the lawn, Adam wanted to mow the lawn, too. When he was with his friends, Adam wanted to be with his friends, too. It had started to grate on him, but that was simply what brothers did, have done since the beginning of time. Looking back at all of it, he felt a little silly, having been so frustrated by it all. But no matter what he thought now, he wouldn't have changed a thing that happened. Not one little thing. When he was 14 and Adam was nine, a friend of his told him about a book he'd found. Now, at a glance, the book was full of nothing but nonsense, a cult mumbo-jumbo that was bound to scare some dumb boys. None of them actually took any of it seriously, but he'd let himself get drawn into the weird incantations and rituals depicted in the book, and Adam had done so as well. It had been Adam's suggestion that they actually try some of these rituals. He'd never actually believed it would work, but Adam had been persistent, and so, to shut him up, he agreed to try just one spell. The spell they'd chosen was supposedly... well, it was supposed to bring rain, and it involved a simple ceremony. One of them would draw a sigil, and the other would place a bell inside of it. Then one would pour water upon that bell and strike it three times, then three more times. He and Adam had drawn the sigil exactly as outlined in the book and performed the ceremony as specified, and then they waited. Once they'd rung the bell for the last time, Adam had immediately run to the window in the hope that it would suddenly be pouring rain. But the sun still shone outside, much to his disappointment. He remembered that he'd said, "'That's all right, maybe it'll rain tomorrow,' in the hope that it might cheer Adam up. Adam just looked glumly at him and said, "'Yeah, maybe tomorrow.' They hadn't needed to wait that long, though. The rain had come on suddenly before mid-afternoon, and it came down hard. He couldn't remember seeing a downpour so bad before or since. And... 
couldn't forget the ear-to-ear grin that Adam had worn as he realized that their little spell had worked and that they had just tapped into something that only a handful of people ever truly understood. A couple of days later during school, he'd snuck the book out of his friend's backpack. He played dumb when his friend later couldn't find it and made sure to hide it well inside his room. He didn't want to lose the power that they'd found, after all. The rituals continued after that, always just small things, summoning snow on winter's days when they didn't feel like going to school. That year had just so happened to have a record snowfall, conjuring little illusions for their own entertainment. Like children with a loaded gun, they played with a power beyond their comprehension. Well, Adam's comprehension. Adam had no interest in the deeper secrets of the book, but he did. In that ancient text, he read about worlds beyond the one he knew, about impossible beasts with insatiable hunger, and about rituals that could plot the course of a man's life in directions he could only have fantasized about. If, of course, one had the stomach to perform them. It seemed worth it. A little sacrifice in exchange for a life of success. Sure, he'd miss Adam, but Adam wouldn't really be dead now, would he? They'd get plenty of chances to speak again, and when they did, his little brother would be so much more useful to him. He'd performed the ritual one afternoon while their parents had been out on the boat and they'd been alone in the cottage. They'd walk down to Beck's, as they'd done so many times before, to get their chocolate, soda, and worms. And then they walked back. Adam had been smiling, unaware of what was waiting for him. He drank his soda, eaten his chocolate, and run down to the dock so they could start fishing. Adam didn't see it when he took out the knife. He didn't have the chance to react until the blade was sinking into his flesh, carving the binding runes into him. And even then, all he could do was vainly struggle and scream before he was thrown off the edge of the dock. Adam had tried to resurface, of course, but he'd never made it back to land. He'd placed his hands on Adam's shoulders and forced him back under. He'd held him beneath the water, looking into his brother's eyes, until he knew that he'd gotten what he'd wanted. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Life seemed to fade from them, but he could still see the ghost of something still there, a hint of lingering consciousness. The body was mostly dead, but the soul lived on, in between the realm of life and death. Adam's eyes had remained fixed on this, and after taking a deep breath and stealing himself, he asked the first of many questions. Where should I hide you? It had been almost 50 years to the day since then. He'd asked countless more questions since. Questions that Adam had answered. Questions about business, about investments, about love, and about future. Almost 50 years, his oracle had remained bound, but its time was almost up. Many years ago, the book had warned him that this day would come. The ruins would keep Adam bound, but not forever. There was a time limit. Fifty years was all he could manage. Fifty years with the body stashed beneath the dock, invisible to all but him. Adam had served him well. He'd been a good little brother and a better oracle, even if he hadn't exactly been the most willing of servants. But the time had come to cut him loose. He took a drag on his dying cigarette and checked his watch. 
He had a little over an hour left. Best not to leave this until the last minute. With a stoic expression, he took his gun off the counter and checked it again. Six rounds in the chamber. He'd imagined he'd only need one to finish this. He took a deep breath as he headed for the door, his pistol in his hand. He descended down the hill toward the dock. The fog seemed to part in front of him, as if allowing him to pass. The air felt cold and cut through his suit, and the only sound he could hear was the faint but gentle crash of waves against the rocks. The dock creaked under his shoes as he set foot upon it and made his way to the very end. The water around him didn't seem to move as he walked. The lake was impossibly still, and its surface reflected everything like a mirror. Yet he knew that as soon as he reached the end, he would see Adam's face clearly beneath the surface, and some primal part of him almost dreaded what he'd see. He reached the end of the dock and forced himself to look down. First of all, all he saw was his own reflection. But soon... He could see his own features warping and contorting. The skin of his reflection turned the sickly green of algae, and the eyes seemed to bulge. He could see the ridges of bone around the sockets and notice that the nose and part of the cheek were gone. It was hard to tell where the tattered flesh of the cheek ended and the moss from the lake began. The sight of him made him cover his mouth in disgust, but the gentle yet knowing smile on Adam's face was enough to truly make him want to vomit. The reflection had changed from the rotten visage of his own face to the horrible remains of Adam, the Adam he remembered, just a month shy of ten years old and having been left to rot for the past fifty years, unable to die but robbed of his life, in limbo, all for one man's success. Hello again, Rick. Adam's voice was as he remembered it, but the burbling, wet sound to it sent a chill through him. The tone was not the same as the one he remembered, either. Adam had never spoken quite so formally, not until after he'd become an oracle, at least. What questions do you bring for me today? No questions this time, he said quietly. No more questions. Oh, have you finally come to set me free? After fifty years, here at the end, he could not bring himself to give an answer. I see. Waiting until the last moment, I see. Even when you've left me for so long. He didn't try to justify that. He was just quietly raising the gun and aimed it down toward the visage of his brother. Adam stared up at him, waiting patiently. Are you sure you're ready for this? he asked. I killed you fifty years ago, he said softly. It's time, Adam. And you've got nothing to say for yourself, even after all this time? Well, that gave him pause. The gun trembled in his hand before he lowered it. He was silent for a moment before he finally started to laugh. You're really asking me for an apology? He asked. You really think I'm going to look back on everything and regret it all now? No. I made my choices. I made them long, a long time ago. I may not have enjoyed all of it, but I made my choices. I lived my life. So you did, Adam said thoughtfully as his brother raised the gun again. He looked up into the barrel before Rick pulled the trigger. The gunshot echoed through the silent lake, and Rick stared down into the rippling water, feeling a weight ease off of his shoulders. He'd done it. He'd dealt with his oracle. The circle was closed. He sighed and lowered the gun before turning around. Perhaps you've lived too much, Adam's voice continued, and he froze. Time is fickle. It gets away from us. Memories fade in old age. It's a natural part of aging. It gets harder and harder to keep track of time over five decades. You bound me here 50 years ago. As of three days ago. No. 
Rick turned around to see something moving at the end of the dock. A shape reached out of the water, the hand of a nine-year-old boy, pale as death, with sagging skin and algae growing off of it. Flesh had been nibbled away from the fingertips, revealing bone, but the hand still moved. Another hand reached up onto the wood of the deck, and Rick took aim at the sickening visage that emerged from the water. The arms, torso and head resembled Adam, or at least what was left of Adam, but what came out after he'd lifted his torso onto the deck did not resemble his little brother at all. It trailed on behind him, a slimy mess of debris and scum, from the depths of the lake, trailing weeds, driftwood, and the twitching rotted fins from countless dead fish. Bits of broken garbage jutted out of his new body. Bicycles, tangling fishing wire, fishing lures, and the smell was overpowering. His heart starting to race, Rick fired the gun, taking off a chunk of Adam's head. But the thing that Adam had forged himself into was not slowed. Using its arms to move itself forward, it rushed for him, moving faster than he could have expected. He fired again, but the bullet was lost in the mess of debris that consisted of his body, and he did not get the opportunity to fire a fourth shot. Adam's pale hands grabbed at him, clawing at his throat as he threw his weight onto him, knocking Rick off his feet and pinning him onto the dock. It's okay. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to let go. But I want us to be together, you and me. Let's go, Rick. Let's go. His pale hands gripped Rick's shoulders as he began to sink back into the water of the lake. Rick screamed, he thrashed and sobbed. He fought, but he could not break free. He desperately tried to grab the planks of the dock to keep himself away from the water, but his fingernails tore from his hands as he was dragged inch by inch to the end of the dock. Adam only smiled at him, letting him fight, letting him struggle. Rick looked at the cottage where he'd spent the best days of his life and desperately reached for it as if somehow, if he only tried long enough, he could grab hold of the door and pull himself to safety. But he'd sealed his own fate long ago. With a final scream, he was pulled beneath the surface of the lake and locked within Adam's embrace. The two of them vanished beneath the placid surface, and when the ripples stopped... It sat, unbroken, amongst the fog, as silence set in again. I hope you enjoyed Fishing at the End of the Dock by author Ryan Peacock, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more of tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash peacock, spelled P-E-A-C-O-C-K. Yes, just like the famous TV mascot, those things that run around in zoos, or as I like to think of them, a collection of eyes that are always watching. I'm not the only one who thinks so, am I? Anyway, Ryan shows that Canada isn't always a pleasant place to be, scaring up in the Ontario area as best he can. Check out his stories, his social media feeds, and more. And if you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave Ryan a kind word and let him know you heard about him on this show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Phew! Shame when family can't get along. Luckily, I was an only child. No brothers or sisters to worry about. At least none anyone knows about. Anyway. Oh, what's that outside the window? Ah, just one of the mangy, ne'er-do-well stray cats that occasionally stroll by. I always wondered to myself, where do they all come from and where do they all go? They really have homes that they never seem to go back to? Or do they always patrol the neighborhood looking for? Yeah, cats can be mysterious creatures. I know, I got to. But sometimes they find even stranger things. A 
camera, a harness, and a bored old man lead to an interesting encounter. Take heed for Ryan Peacock's second tale of the night. Without further ado, I present to you, put a camera on my cat. Ever since my wife Adeline disappeared, it's been just Charlie and me all alone. I don't mind it. I never cared much for company. If I'd wanted visitors, I wouldn't have tried to get as far away from civilization as I could now, would I? Charlie's pit stops back at the house for food, sleep, and depositing the presents he sometimes brings back. That's enough for me. In the meanwhile, I occupy my time with books and occasionally television. Adeline left behind more than her fair share of the former. She had a thing for mystery novels. I never used to take any interest in them. But nowadays, well, I suppose reading the ones I knew she enjoyed lets me feel closer to her again. My daughter says I'm going crazy up here. I tell her that I've never been happier. I don't want to go back to the city and rot away in some old folks' home with a condescending nurse talking to me like I'm a child. I'm 85, and I'm as sharp as I ever was. Not quite as spry, no. But if anything really needs fixing, I have a telephone and I have the Internet. I can call for help if I need it. I intend to live my days out here in the house, with the woods stretching endlessly on behind me. I breathe fresh air, relax in solitude, and wait for the Lord to tell me that my time is done. Until then, I will do all I can to enjoy the time I have left on my terms. Of course, that said, my daughter Stara still worries after me more than she ought to. I suppose I should find it sweet, but really it's a little annoying. I love her dearly, and I'm glad we raised her right, yada yada. But when I'm trying to read, I don't need her knocking on my door to fuss over me. I'm sitting in my chair on the porch. I have a coffee and a sandwich. I'm not going anywhere, and even if I was, I'm hardly feeble. Regardless, she insists that I need the company. I gave up fighting her on that. I figure she's doing it more for her own peace of mind than anything else. I was never there for my father in his twilight years. He and I weren't on speaking terms, and after he passed, well, I suppose I'd wished one of us had had the balls to say one last nice thing, and I suppose I wish that it had been me. And besides, sometimes she brings me gifts, not quite as fancy as the ones Charlie sometimes brings, but fancy in their own way, cameras to monitor the outside so I can see who's coming from my tablet computer. And I suppose the tablet computer herself. I've adapted well enough to use it, I suppose. I'd like to think I've done so better than most my age. And if I'm being honest, I like how easy the technology has made some things. Even if they were things I didn't really ask for in the first place. The other day, Sarah asked me if Charlie's long absences had bothered me. I told her they didn't. Charlie's always been an outdoor cat... He's as much a creature of the forest as the birds and the squirrels. Adeline used to worry after him, since there were coyotes and bears out there. But I don't. I reckon that if Charlie's made it this long without running into trouble, he knows what he's doing, and judging by the things he sometimes brought home, I got the impression he wasn't exactly in danger. It wasn't often, but every now and then, when Charlie came back, he'd have some sort of trinket with him. Sometimes it was junk, bottle caps, pieces of old cans and whatnot. Sometimes he'd have coins, usually just small change. But every now and then, he'd have something a little more valuable, jewelry and whatnot. Some of it was fake. A few pieces looked pretty real. I always kept the real-looking ones in a drawer in case anyone ever came looking for them. It didn't seem right to sell them. I figured that they probably had been dropped somewhere in the woods by hikers, and Charlie had found them. Either that, or he was raiding some kind of garbage pile. It's hard to say for sure. Regardless, I got the vibe that he was staying out of trouble. Some cats are dumb. Charlie isn't. 
I've got more faith in that cat than I've had in most people. Still, Sarah had to ask her questions. Don't you wonder where he's going at all? She asked. I got the impression that she asked more out of genuine curiosity than anything else, and that told me she was trying to work her way up to, well, towards some kind of point. What that cat does is his business, I said. And you're not in the least bit curious, huh? All right, what'd you buy? The sales pitch was getting a little annoying, and Sarah just smiled sheepishly. Okay, well, I just thought it might be fun, you know? But they've got these cameras. People wear them when biking and stuff. You can attach them right to your body. Isn't that neat? I suppose. I didn't really see the point to it, but I was playing along. It might be cool. It'll give you something to look at when he gets back. Truth be told, I thought the whole idea was a little stupid. But she had gotten my attention, I suppose. Something in my gut told me that this was the sort of question that was going to keep me up. Besides, Sarah seemed pretty interested in it, and as much as my daughter can annoy me sometimes, I've never been once able to say no to my little girl, and I wasn't about to start to now. Now that she'd hit 50. I suppose, I repeated. Charlie put up with the ridiculous sweaters your mother always used to put on him around Christmas time. He'll probably tolerate this, too, and I don't imagine it'll do him any harm. Oh, it won't. Trust me. This will be fun. I promise. I could hear the years melting away in her voice, and beneath the lines of age and gray at her temples, I could see that same two-year-old I'd not so begrudgingly sat and had imaginary tea with once upon a time. She split into a full grin and reached into her purse to take out the camera, which looked like a small gray box. She'd even bought a harness. The kids are going to love this, too. They always ask about you and Charlie, you know. Oh, I'm sure they do, I replied. The kids must have been at least pushing 20 by now. I doubt they spared much thought toward what I was up to. But it was nice of her to lie to me, I guess. Looking at that harness and camera, the first thing that came to mind was, Charlie is not going to be happy about this. But I kept that thought to myself. Aside from moderately annoying the poor cat a little bit, the whole idea seemed harmless enough. Besides, maybe we'd actually see something interesting when we'd look back at the footage. Sarah, of course, showed me how to set everything up. She showed me how to access the video by myself, and I'd say I got the hang of it moderately quickly. I knew the steps, at least, and if I got stuck, I could always call her. Then, after chatting a while longer, she went home and let me return to my solitude. Charlie hadn't come home yet, although he usually didn't show up until sundown, so I set everything aside and sat down to read a book, and at some point, I fell asleep in my chair. When I woke up, it was dawn, and I could see Charlie sitting on the banister of the porch right outside the window, so I'd know he was there when I woke up. As soon as he saw me moving, He started mewling and pacing around. I picked myself up, stretched, and shuffled over to the door to let him in. He scurried indoors and went straight to the food bowl, and as he did, I noticed that he'd left me something on the deck. It gleamed brightly in the morning sun, and I slowly bent down to pick it up. It was a necklace. Judging by the tarnish of it, it was real silver. The chain looked broken, but the charm looked all right. It depicted a little heart. Nothing fancy, but it was something good for a lady, I suppose. No engravings on it. No sign of who it belonged to. It was likely that nobody would come looking for this, but I still took it to the sink to wash it off before I put it in the drawer with the rest. That drawer rattled with old rings, necklaces, earrings, and rare coins that Charlie had brought over the years. The old cat himself was going to town on his dry food bowl as if he'd never seen food before in his life. I honestly felt a little bad for him and hoped he hadn't been waiting too long. I went to fetch some wet food for him, partially as an apology, and partially because I knew he'd start to get mouthy with me if I didn't give him a proper breakfast. I was too tired to listen to that old man bitch. 
Charlie's a good cat, despite his attitude. He's a graying Maine coon with a mean face, although he always melted like butter in Adeline's hands. She was always inclined to baby him, but I always saw him as a fellow curmudgeon to pass the days with. I never actually told anyone this, but I always imagined he'd be a bit of a southern drawl if he could talk and that he'd sound a little bit like John Wayne. As soon as he heard me opening up the wet food, he was right at my ankles, expectantly mewing and demanding his breakfast. I figured it wasn't wise to keep him waiting. I set the bowl down on the kitchen table and let him jump up to eat his fill while I started on my own breakfast. Charlie had a nap while I ate, sleeping in the armchair Adeline had once liked to sit in. I didn't bother him until around noon when I remembered that camera that Sarah had brought. I'd left it in the living room, and while I hadn't put too much thought into putting it on Charlie, the memory of the necklace I'd found that morning had gotten me thinking. Where was my old friend getting all that junk? Was he finding it? Stealing it? What? I suppose the camera was likely to answer that. Sarah had already piqued my curiosity as to where he went, but that posed a question that required a more immediate answer. Charlie was out cold with that contented look cats have when they sleep, and he paid me no mind as I got up to fetch the camera. I read over the instructions again and played with it for a bit before I actually tried to set it up. I recorded a little snippet of footage of Charlie napping there on the couch, popped that into my computer to review. The quality of the camera seemed fairly nice. It was easy enough to access the files. Might we... Well, go and make sure the harness fits. Charlie only gave some slight protest. When I bothered to put him in the harness, I committed the sin of awakening him, although he gave me a pass despite clearly being grumpy. Sorry, old-timer, I said, before scratching him under his chin. I fastened the harness around him, then fitted the camera onto the chest. Guess I'll be along for your next adventure, huh? He just chirped at me and sniffed my fingers, then flopped back down to continue his rest. He didn't stay that way for long. Within the next ten minutes or so, he was at the back door stretching and pacing, ready to set out on the road again. I checked to make sure his camera was on before setting him loose. Happy trails, pilgrim, I said under my breath as he scampered outside and bounded down the stairs. He stopped to look back at me briefly before he took off into the forest, and I knew I probably wouldn't see him again until nightfall. Normally, I'd have been in bed by nine, considering I was up so early. But thinking about Charlie and what I'd find on his camera kept me up, and I couldn't help but feel the house was a little too quiet for a change. I put the TV on to try and distract myself, since reading hadn't quite done the trick. I poured myself a hard drink as well. No harm in that, I figured. It had been a while since I'd indulged, not since... Well, not since Adeline's funeral. We buried an empty casket. There hadn't been a body. After two months of looking, there wasn't much point in pretending as if she was ever going to come back. My mind stayed sharp over the years. Adeline wasn't quite as lucky. Dementia ran in her family. We'd seen it happen to her mother... A slow, cruel decline. We both feared for years that would have happened to her, too. Then, when we started seeing the signs, neither of us acknowledged it, even when they became too large to ignore. Sarah was over constantly back then, doing what she could to help out. Adeline was a strong-willed woman up until the end, though. Sarah suggested retirement homes. Neither of us wanted to go. She wasn't feeble, she and I had taken care of ourselves. We'd kept our health into our old age. We even went on walks through the trails out behind the house, going into some home where they'd infantilize or treat her as if she was less of a person just because she was old and sick. Take her out of the home she'd known for years? I couldn't do that to her. I didn't want to watch her go through that. I would be damned if I'd let her go without me. No, she was my wife, in sickness and in health until death do us part. Those were the vows, and I would honor them until death. Death. 
When I was a young man in my 20s and looking to propose, the prospect of growing old together terrified me. I wouldn't give back the memories we made together, not for anything. But back then, the idea of one day losing her, or of knowing the pain she might feel if she lost me, that thought would sometimes creep into the back of my mind. I'd always banish it, dismissing it, as something to worry about in the future. Then one morning, I woke up to find the spot in the bed beside me empty, when I never saw her again. Then I had to accept that eventuality had come. The police suggested that she'd gone on a hike alone. She'd done that before when we were younger. I didn't argue with them. I imagine that's just what she did. She woke up, forgetting the years that had passed, looked out into the crisp morning air and decided to enjoy it. She'd walked out and she never came back in. Maybe she'd forgotten the trail, got turned around and wandered deeper into the woods. Maybe she'd fallen, hurt herself, and never been found. Whatever ending had befallen her, I preferred not to think about it. It was better that I didn't know, even if not knowing was the cruelest thing in the world. Sarah was there for me, of course, I suppose. That's why she doted on me so much in the year or so since. I wonder if deep down she fears that one day I'll fall Adeline into the woods and she'll never see me again either. The scotch sat in my hand as I stared blankly at the TV, not really watching the infomercial on the screen. A flash of movement from the corner of my eye drew my attention and tore me away from my thoughts. Charlie paced on the back porch outside, the camera harness on him, looked unharmed. I set my glass down and stood up to let him in. Have a nice adventure, old-timer, I asked. He just went straight for his food bowl. Dinner time. I let him gorge himself on dry food while I got a tin of wet food for him. That got his attention, and he hopped up onto the kitchen table to await his feast. You're a spoiled cat, aren't you? I asked. I'll bet if he could have responded, he'd have said something like, Bit your ass, pilgrim. As he ate, I took the camera off his chest and undid the harness. He seemed happy to have it off. The camera was a little dirtier and had stopped recording some time ago. I vaguely recalled Sarah said something about the camera not having a hell of a lot of battery life. A couple of hours or something. I probably wouldn't have gotten the full adventure, but that was fine by me. I doubt I'd have missed anything that interesting. I was tired and wanted to sleep, but the camera called to me. I can't quite explain the sense of urgency I felt about looking at that footage. Maybe I was more bored with my routine than I thought, and at the very least, the footage might be somewhat interesting. I gave Charlie a pat on the head before deciding a cup of tea might give me the boost I needed to go through that footage. When all was said and done, Charlie had gotten comfortable in his favorite chair I retired with my hot tea to the office. I plugged the camera into my computer and took a sip of my drink. There were only a couple of videos stored in the camera. I recognized a few as the test videos I'd taken by the thumbnails. The last one, though, it must have taken its thumbnail from a random point in the video. It looked almost pitch black as if something were obscuring the camera. I frowned at the sight of it and hoped like hell... The foul wasn't messed up somehow. I'd have needed to call Sarah if it was, and who knew when she could make it out to see me. I clicked the video anyway just to see what happened. I didn't expect it to start, but it did. I could see part of Charlie's head and my own jean-clad legs as I turned the camera on. I remembered this. This was just about before I let him out. Happy trails, Pilgrim, I heard myself say before the back door opened and Charlie was set loose upon the forest. What followed was some rather neat-looking footage as Charlie skulked around some bushes and some tall grass, but I can't really say it was all that interesting. He climbed some fallen branches and made his way into one of the neighbor's yards. He watched them for a little while and even ate some treats they had left out for him that seemed to be for him. And a little glutton. Then he went back off into the woods. I'm sure at one point I saw him pass the hiking trail that Adeline and I used to walk. 
I recognized the little creek that he walked along as he moved deeper into the forest. There was a familiar rustle of grass and water as he walked along, although the sound quickly became annoying, so I lowered the volume. I couldn't help but wonder just where the hell he was going out there, but I imagined he was probably just hunting. Maybe he'd kill a mouse or something. The canopy above him seemed to get a few shades darker as he climbed up onto a fallen birch tree. The loose bark crinkled under his paws. The tree seemed to lead up to another, taller tree. The canopy above was thick enough that it almost seemed like a nighttime, despite it still being fairly early in the day. Looking at the timestamp of the video, he'd only been out for an hour and a bit. He moved along the branch of the taller tree, walking as if he knew where he was going. I could have sworn I caught a glimpse of something ahead of him. At a glance, it looked a, a bit like a bird's nest, although it seemed rather large. That said, I knew some birds liked large nests. The longer I watched, the more glimpses I caught of the thing. It was definitely a nest of some sort. Twigs and leaves had been deliberately put together to form something, although this was bigger than any bird's nest I'd ever seen before. It seemed to completely dominate the top of one tree, Charlie kept climbing as if he hadn't quite reached the top yet. Hell, I couldn't even see the sides of this thing. It seemed less like a nest, and more like a wall of branches that seemed too big and too thick for a regular bird to lift. After a while, one of the branches that Charlie had climbed seemed to turn toward the nest. Getting closer, I could have sworn I saw bits of rope holding some of the larger sticks, or perhaps it would be more apt to call them branches together. I didn't get that good of a look, though. Charlie seemed to weave his way through a gap in the nest, creeping in as if he owned the place. The inside seemed pitch black. Charlie moved slowly, carefully choosing each step as he drew closer. It was over a minute until there was any light again, long enough to make me check to see if the video had ended, but there was still about a half hour left. At last, he seemed to emerge onto the other side of whatever wall, He'd just passed through. The light inside the nest was scarce. The interior was scattered with large black feathers, and I could see the sunlight glinting off bits of shiny things. Tin cans, children's toys, pocket watches, hood ornaments, jewelry. Was this where he was getting all that? What the hell was this? Some kind of massive crow's nest? I was hardly an expert on crows, but I couldn't imagine... They'd ever make a nest that large. Charlie paused as if looking or listening for something before he continued. He paused to sniff a few pieces of discarded junk before casually making his way over to the far side of the nest. As he walked, I noticed the shape of things that didn't quite look like branches or sticks. They were brownish in color and seemed to blend in easily. But the shape of them was all wrong. Branches don't have those smooth edges. Branches don't curve inwards on themselves, and branches don't have eye sockets. I could see the skull of some sort of animal, a large rodent of some kind staring emptily into the interwoven branches. I could see bones with smaller twigs wrapped around them, used almost as additional support for the structure of the nest. And as Charlie walked, I saw something that made my heart begin to beat faster as a sick sensation filled my stomach. I've seen human skulls on TV, but never in real life. Had it not been for the matted black hair that still clung to the scalp, I might have been able to dismiss the idea that it was anyone else. But I knew that hair. I kissed that head a thousand times over a lifetime together. I remembered the laughing eyes in those now-empty sockets. Even in death, I recognized my Adeline. Or... What was left of my Adeline? How many of her bones had been added to this nest? Her body alone couldn't have been what became its foundation. How many others had been claimed as construction materials for this nest? Oh, God. Oh, dear God. Charlie sat reverently before Adeline's skull, and I knew that he recognized her, too. He almost certainly come there to mourn, to pay his respects, or simply to be with her, even if she was long gone. 
I could only pray that whatever had done this to her had only taken her after she died. But from the gashes in the bone, I feared that wasn't the case. But what could have done something like this? What could have taken her? What could have... Charlie had been sitting quietly for almost ten minutes as I placed my hands to my mouth, stifling my own cries of grief. Then he moved, suddenly as if something had startled him. From the speakers I heard a raspy sound, an inhuman hiss that sounded like a cross between a sadistic cackle and the chattering of some large bird. Charlie scurried out of sight, moving between another gap in the branches of the nest before positioning himself to look back. Through the gaps in the branches and bones I could see something else that had entered the nest, although I could see not fully what it was. All I could see was two scaled legs that each ended with a four-toed claw, just like a bird of prey. It chittered and cackled as it approached the spot where Charlie had been, moving awkwardly as it hopped closer. I could see long black feathers trailing down from the creature's body as it continued to chitter. It seemed to inspect the spot where Charlie had been, and I heard him hiss. It didn't do much to deter the creature that was hunting for him, the creature that had likely killed my wife. I could hear the rustling of sticks and the camera blurred as Charlie moved again to crawl out of the nest. He moved through the gaps in the branches as if he'd done this a thousand times and found his way onto a long branch that led down. Then he ran for freedom, and the very last shot I saw in that video was the blur of the ground beneath him. As the video ended, I couldn't help but notice Charlie in the doorway of my office. His eyes were wide and alert. His ears were raised as if the sounds of whatever creature he'd encountered had frightened him. With a shaking hand, I coaxed him over to me, and he jumped up onto my desk. I'm not sure if he was there to protect me or if he wanted me to protect him. Either way, I was glad to have his company. I pulled the old man into my lap to hold him tight, and it took a few minutes before he seemed to relax again. Lucky cat. I don't think I'll ever be able to relax again. I've rewatched the footage countless times by now. I haven't told Sarah anything. When she asked if I'd put the camera on Charlie yet, I told her I'd get around to it. She could never see what I've seen. She could never know what happened to her mother. Never. But I'm not foolish enough to delete that footage. If ever proof is needed, it needs to be accessible. To Sarah or to anyone else who may need it, should I not return from the woods today. I haven't hunted in years, but I dusted off my old rifle from the garage. It still works fine, and I've got bullets. I don't know if I'm half the shot I used to be. It's one thing to hit a few cans out in the backyard. It's another to hit a moving target, but I'm sure I'll manage one way or another. I'm sure I can follow the path that Charlie took. Not exactly, but close enough. I'm sure that if I go out into the woods, I can find the nest. I can find whatever horrible thing lives there. And when I do, when I do, by God, I will kill it. For Adeline. For Adeline. I hope you enjoyed I Put a Camera on My Cat by author Ryan Peacock, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash peacock and visit his profile to find out more about him and his work. Just don't get convinced to go to Ontario yourself. I'm from B.C., I know. Some weird places are best left alone. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard about them here on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure Ryan would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, 
before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Chirey. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. 
If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.